Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, we are off and running in season eight. I mean, it seriously blows my mind that we are actually here. When I look at the ground that we've covered, it's it's crazy, and I'm, I'm humbled by it. But as I mentioned in last week's episode, today's conversation is actually a second panel that I hosted live at the HPB Expo in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. And this is a panel that's all about navigating the supply chain in 2022. So, Everybody knows that this year we have absolutely had our worlds turned upside down in regards to how difficult it's been to get products. And it's horrible because, you know, consumers want this stuff and there's demands on us as retailers and manufacturers and distributors to try and keep up when there's simply nothing there. Well, unfortunately, I feel like there have been many companies that have not communicated very well, you know, borderline even dishonest at times with their retailers or the people that buy from them because they're trying to save face or maybe they're scared because they don't actually know what's going on. And I think there's a lot of false hope out there. And, you know, I was talking to my dad the other day because he's involved in purchasing electronics from overseas for, for his career. And he was just saying, Tim, like this thing is not going away anytime soon. Like, like we're still in this for quite a while. And so I wanted to have a conversation with some prominent leaders in our industry at the retail distribution and manufacturing level to just talk about the issue that's at hand and discuss what can we do about it together. So really excited for you to hear that conversation. Now, before we jump into it, I mentioned last week that we came out with a printed journal and this thing is incredible. If you haven't been there yet, you've got to go to itsfiretime.com slash journal and check it out. I've got one in my hands right now. This thing's over 150 pages long and it's just beautifully done. The graphic designer did an amazing job and Honestly, the content is so good. It was put together by contributors all over North America, and this is literally a playbook on how do I run my business? What's the map for 2022? So if you haven't seen it yet, we're charging 10 bucks for them. Truly, that's just to cover our freight costs and handling. We'll ship it anywhere in the world. We figured that 10 bucks would cover that. So I highly encourage you to check one out because this is a resource that you know, we ran one pressing of them and when they're gone, they're gone, but it will be very, very special for years to come. So with all that said, I'm going to jump out of the way and let you hear this conversation. I absolutely have some thoughts at the end. Hey everybody, super excited to be here. Thanks a ton for coming to this panel and hopefully, you know, uh, we saw you at the one yesterday as well. So as we get started today, we're going to be broadcasting this both as a panel and a podcast episode. We're going to be talking about navigating the supply chain in 2022. So, you know, for for many of our businesses, me and Grant have talked quite a bit over the last few months that the situation we're in right now, I I believe is actually more difficult than what we experienced in 2008 for a lot of reasons. And it's, it's because at least from a retailer's perspective, in 2008, we had a lot of issues with cash flow, lack of customers, people weren't spending money. 
And in a lot of ways, we have those same cash flow problems, but it's because product isn't available. And, you know, customers only wait so long before they cancel their deposits. And we've got this weird bubble where there's more demand than there's ever been, but we can't fulfill it. And it's, it's just a really unique set of circumstances. So I'm super excited today to get to talk with each of these gentlemen. I'll introduce them in just a second. But at, at, at this table, we have representation from retailers, distributors, and manufacturers. And I think that's super important. There's there's a lot of companies I've talked to throughout this that have kind of said, I, I don't feel like I have partners in this. I feel like I'm in the dark. I don't know what's going on. And I, I'm sure to some degree that exists for everybody. So the goal of today's conversation is to talk about how do we navigate this thing? Like, you know, some people think, man, it's going to get better in, in one month. And, you know, I, I, we're going to be in this for a little bit. And so I want to have an honest conversation about, about what that is. The plan is that we'll go for probably 45 minutes or so. And then we can try to take some questions if anybody has that. Just to introduce everyone. So starting right here next to me on my left, this is Grant Falco. Uh, Grant's a good friend of mine. He's a retailer out of Spokane, Washington, and, and truly I mean, one of the elite retailers in our industry, single store operation, but I mean, running what, five installation crews, uh, has a presence in commercial, new construction, and retail, and just does a tremendous job. He's somebody that I met probably six years ago that really challenged the way that I thought about business, and I've just appreciated our friendship and everything you bring to the table. Next to him is Kirk Newby. So I've known Kirk for, I mean, man, loosely I'd say almost 15 years as a, as a customer and a little bit more over the last five Kirk runs uh, Associated Energy Systems, a distributor out of the Seattle area, but they actually cover probably two-thirds of the country now. I mean, all the way out to Minnesota, Dallas, Texas. And, and AES is a company that, for me, when I was in retail, they, they always treated me like a partner. I appreciated their consistency in delivery. If something wasn't there, there was a, there was a solution, there was an answer. And in a world where, where many companies, when there's a problem, they, they run and hide, I've appreciated how AES has always treated us that way. And Kirk, I know with your experience in the industry, you'll bring a ton to this conversation. So John Shimmick runs essentially the fireplace division of Hearth and Home Technologies now. John, I met you in, it was in Mexico, it was in Cancun probably four years ago. Somehow I... I I don't know how, but somehow I, I won a trip as a salesperson for HHT, and I, I got to go on the company trip. And we were on an excursion together riding ATVs, and I got to know you a little bit. And I, I've appreciated, in my relationship with HHT, your guys' commitment to logistical excellence. I mean, there's a lot of things that you do well, but, man, logistical excellence is one of them. Like, stuff comes in on time, it works, and it's, it's incredible. So excited for what you're going to bring to the table in this. And then finally, on the end, uh, Stephen Schroeder, we met... Man, I think it was three years ago in, I think it was in Dallas. And, you know, Stephen is the co-CEO of Napoleon. And as, as I've gotten to know you, uh, me and Grant have spent a little bit of time out in Barrie. We've been really impressed by your innovation and just your different approach to thinking about the industry. And just seeing the way that you guys are pushing at every level to innovate. If there's a better way to make a product, we'll try to do it. If, you know, how can we push the bounds of what's been there? And so all that to say is, you know, I feel uh, humbled to sit here with like four titans of our industry. And I think that there's, there's a ton of collective wisdom here. And with that, uh, we'll jump into the conversation. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Okay, cool. So to start this out, let's, let's just throw out a, a real softball question. Um, what's happened to cause this major disruption in the supply chain? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe John, could you take a shot at that first? Yeah, thanks, Tim. I can uh, 
what, what we feel has happened is a lot of manufacturers, when COVID-19 hit and the pandemic hit, we all maybe overreacted to what we thought was a, a potential downslide in our demand. So we pulled back on our, our, our members, our employees, our labor. We, we slowed down our labor. We kind of sat back and said, let's see where demand goes. And then obviously what happened is the, the pandemic kind of corrected itself. People sat at home and they saved a ton of money and then they wanted to go out and spend the money. And all of a sudden demand took off and we came out of COVID a little bit. I know we're not out of it yet, but we came out a little bit, but the, the, the members and the employees didn't come back to work right away, Yeah, which led to obviously supply going up. We're not, we're not able to get our demand going up and we're not able to get our labor back fast enough. And then the pandemic hit, we had illnesses and call-ins and all that, and it just magnified. And I know that at the root of all this, that happened everywhere in the supply chain, which disrupted it. Yeah. From a resale perspective, Grant, like what have, what have you seen? Like what, what's happened to you to cause this? Well, I think just what John said, I think that we all took a step back, or a lot of us did, in, in labor and our thought process. It was scary. I mean, I'll never forget coming back from New Orleans and thinking, what? What just happened? I literally woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was in a nightmare, realized I wasn't in a nightmare. Then I quickly realized I was still in that nightmare and it was COVID. And uh, I think that our pause at the beginning caused major problems. But what's been amazing for me to see and understand, and, and truly as a retailer, you have to understand this, is the cause and effect of how the dominoes kept falling to negatively affect us, whether it's labor and the trucking and getting shipping. I mean, the, the cost and the inflation of all of this, it's, it's been, it's been uh, one of the most difficult things to navigate. And what I would say from a retailer's perspective, if you're not running your business, you're actually in your business, working in your business, and you're not able to see that, that's a scary thing. I think the power play on a retail side is uh, having the ability to work and be a partner with your suppliers to continue to navigate through this because none of us want to be in this. Yeah, so we're in this super tough situation, right? All of a sudden we find out that, you know, apparently the car industry needs microchips as well, not just our IPI systems, and they're, they're bigger than us. So if they're having problems, man, we're pretty far down the food chain. Um, I, there's, there's been a lot of difficulty in communication. I mean, I, I, I know just from clients that I've worked with, there, it's just been so hard to figure out what's going on, when am I going to get something. And I think, that, I think that there's been some false hope of, well, it's going to get better you know, any month now. I, I kind of want to ask the question, how long do you think this issue of the supply chain is going to continue? None of us have a crystal ball, but like based on what, what you guys see, how, how long do you think we're going to be dealing with this? Want us all to do it? Yeah. Whoever, yeah. <laughs> what the heck? I'll try it. I'm out on a limb. I might as well be here. <laughs> uh, we don't foresee it changing in 2022. We're, we're hopeful it'll change in 2023, but I think there's still a lot of kinks in the system that need to get worked out. Yeah. So I, I don't see it for 2022. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree for sure. Uh, if you, I, I, I read a lot of like bank reports and a lot of economists that, that say it's always the last two years it's been like in six months it'll be better in six months it'll be better it's they're wrong I'll tell you right now I think it's gonna be much longer than that and uh, everything will be different but I think as a whole it's gonna take a lot longer than that you, we're dealing with supply demand and supplier out of whack right now right and until we can align the two uh, it's gonna continue and the problem with COVID and uh, you mentioned it is that the labor problem is a real problem too. Not only the parts and the people are constantly getting sick, facilities closing. There's so much happening. 
And if I could just, make, like, I think our company says it really well. Uh, our, our head of purchasing at our company, she calls it the supply apocalypse that's, that's happening right now. Usually in our company, when we have a supply problem, it's usually, you know, one supplier isn't able to deliver, like, valves or maybe we're low on steel or something. We are literally dealing with a problem at every level with suppliers, with labor, with everything, all simultaneously, and we have increased demand at the same time. So it's, it's, it is very, very difficult to navigate. And I would say for the manufacturers, it's extra strenuous. And I'm sure your company too. The And every day it's something new. It's yeah. something you never even thought of. You're like, yep. how could we be out of that? Yep. <laughs> and it's gone. Yeah. Yep. So I agree. And I, the other thing you got to remember is a lot of folks left the workforce. Yep. So as a whole, we're, there's less laborers today than there were two years ago. They just exited. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. With, with with more demand on top yes. of that, it's not that we can even maintain the no. same labor. We need more labor. Yeah, I, I would agree from a retailer standpoint. I mean, I think. Um, I mean, I, I strongly feel that demand has to soften in order for supply to catch up, and that's scary. Like, how how is it going to soften? Is it going to do a steep, you know, decline, or is it going to soften a little bit and allow us to catch up? But I, I think I would agree. I think that we have another year. Demand is, is extraordinarily strong on both sides of, of our business, whether it's commercial, residential, and even retail. Uh, but I, I forecast and think that in third and fourth quarter, we're going to run up against some obstacles on, on demand. And I think that on the retail side, if I was to, uh, as I forecast in my business, I think the five to $7,000 purchase is going to be less and less. And I think the retail side on, in Spokane, Washington is going gonna, is gonna to slow in third and fourth quarter. And I hope it slows just a little bit. Uh, the RNC side, the, the new construction side, that's not slowing. I mean, there's no, there's no ground. There's t- no, no surplus of homes. It's, the inventory is just so far down that I, I see uh, residential new construction and commercial continuing maybe, maybe well through t- 2023 even. But I do think on the retail side, there'll be a slowing a, a year from now. Yeah. I, I wanted to jump in. Uh, Grant, I hope, you're, I hope you're wrong on the third and fourth quarter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're, we're buying expecting you to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong too, Kurt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, looking at this sort of the, in some ways, really fortunate event kind of that we're in in terms of, you know, extraordinary demand and, and, and inability to supply. Um, you know, if you, if you kind of go back to 08, and I think especially we all felt it when 09 hit, it was like, boy, this is reality. Um, but I, you know, we, we sort of spent the next ten years perfecting just in time, right? Everybody, you know, every everyone in the supply chain, you know, no no excess inventory. Everything's going to be just. It's all planned out, perfect choreography, got it down pat, and then, you know, it, that it's a new day, and yeah. uh, and you you can't really plan much of anything anymore. Um, it, so with, with regard, though, to kind of the, you know, what's the supply going to be like in the next year? I know we, we feel like we're seeing things uh, catch up. I think this unpredictability is, um, is certainly out there. But, uh, you know, it, we're, our, our vendors are all uh, able, in most cases, to produce more product than they were in prior year. Maybe we'll leave the valve comment out of it, but, um, or in chips, I guess. But, um, I, 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 I kind of think we're all sort of maturing into this difficult role a little yeah. bit. Um, but that I, I, I love what you're saying about labor. I, I mean that that is that's, that's a, a long term problem. Yeah. Um, 
manufacturing, you can buy robots. We we don't we don't have the ability to have robots. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. They're not cheap, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they take a long time. But they're, but they're reliable. <laughs> they, are, they are there. They are no vacation days. Oh. <laughs> you know the thing. The thing that I think about as a retailer and. I was talking actually with Dan Woodward from HHT about this a couple weeks ago. And it's the idea that as I think as a retailer, we really have to take control of guiding the customer purchase into what, what we have control of for inventory. So for years, retailers, we've been afraid of, well, I can't direct the sale. They want it in brown, so that's what I got to get, right? They want, they want the IPI system instead of standing pilot, so that's what I'm going to sell. And the tables actually turned. You know, if we were having this conversation two years ago, well, yeah, we can let the customer be in the driver's seat. But what's interesting is that, is that for right now, for as long as this is lasting, supply and availability is the most powerful driver of the sale. You know, you go in to buy a car right now, and it's like, well, I'm looking for a blue car. Okay, perfect. We've got a red one. Okay, I'm looking for a blue one, though. Oh, yeah, okay, the blue one? Well, you can buy it, and it might be here in two years. But the red one, I've got right now. That, that is truly what's driving purchases right now. And as a retailer, there can be a lot of fear to narrow your SKUs to what you know is going to be in stock or at least available, available quickly. And we have a lot of fear about that because we've never had to do it before. But, I mean, I'm seeing so much success in retailers that are choosing to do that. And you can stay ahead of this thing, right, Grant? No question. I mean, all- a lot of manufacturers started to narrow down their SKUs fairly early on, and it was the right decision. And, and as a retailer, I saw that and realized I needed to do the exact same thing. Uh, me and my sales leader, Anna, went through and just each product lineup, we decided on two to three units that we would commit to forecasting out. Uh, at Falco's, we have 75 units on the floor, 40 of them burning. And to display that much and then to inventory that much, it's a lot. A year and a half ago, through key indicators, I started ramping up on inventory and, and probably have a five to six uh, month window. But the problem was, is I was ordering everything. I was forecasting everything. I was try- and, and really, it wasn't about that. It's an 80-20 rule. What do I sell 80% the most of? That's what I need to make sure that I have. So we went through and we have continued to make sure that we have those appliances. And then if they need something that's out of that, out of that uh, skew, we'll special order it now at this point. And the customer's willing to wait. But we're, our featured items are on things that we have in stock. Uh, they're on sale. They're front and center, most beautiful displays. And a lot of times, like Tim just said, if they're in stock and we can install it within a couple weeks or months, uh, customer's happy and that's truly what wins. The hard part for a retailer is that we sell on solutions, or we should. And when you're selling on solutions, you, you're going to find the product that fits their problem. It solves their problem. It's less and less, but getting them an appliance, in essence, is solving them, solving their problem, and not a lot of people can. So if you have the inventory, you end up... Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And that, and that kind of leads us right into this question. And maybe we can just go down the line because I'd like to hear from each of you on this. So I, I'd like to know what your company, what, what is your company specifically changed to address this problem? And Grant, I'd like to start with you because I know you've made some big changes to this. Like uh, three, two new warehouses? You know, I mean, uh, I think that the changes are internal. So you run your business and you, you try to focus on certain things. You try to forecast out certain things. Well, 
in running as a general manager for our retailer, I deal with supply and labor, and that's it. It's a full-time job. Our jobs are way harder than they ever were two years ago. Uh, so what we've done is be intentional about communicating with our partners up front well in advance. What is good for me and good for them, we have to put together. I'm not just going to start ordering a bunch of inventory and hoarding it. No, we're going to work together. We're going to communicate, understand the market. The biggest thing we did, though, was narrowing down our SKUs yeah. to make sure that inventory is accurate and, and, and as least amount on the dollars you, you specified cash flow. With a lot of us, if we're keeping inventory that's out three months, it's, it's way more expensive and there's a balancing act there. By narrowing down your SKUs, the 80-20 rule, you keep enough inventory for 80% of your customers and, and things seem to go a little bit smoother. And, and I'll ask this as a follow-up just for you, Grant. So I just realized as we're talking here that you're a customer of every single one of these companies. So, And I know you work really closely with AES. I'm just putting you guys on the spot. How, how have you guys communicated together through this? I didn't really need to. Grant, Grant's a good communicator. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, being proactive as a retailer, I mean, every month I'm calling every sales rep and I'm not asking them about their product and I'm not asking them about my business or how I'm doing. I'm asking them about how everybody else is doing. Always. Every second, every day. And it's annoying, probably, but I need to understand. And very early on, I think probably earlier well, you, you than most. You were talking about chimney pipe a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I started, but I wasn't going to come in and just guns ablaze and buy all the stuff. I communicated with each and every partner. I called Dave Anderson and our sales representative and worked with AES on what we could do and strategically put plans in place. And AES, HHT, and Napoleon have all been outstanding partners Steven with barbecues, uh, I worked intimately with Steven on barbecue supply and uh, it wasn't easy and barbecues were almost harder than fireplaces at one point, uh, but we were able to communicate, have a, a partnership and, and we found major success with Napoleon. But it came down to being proactive. So, 100%. If, you're, so, so if you're stuck every day, you know, just, just doing the installation, just balancing the books, like that, those are things that are needed to run your business, but, but you have to step out proactively as the No retailer. question. Kirk, sorry, I didn't mean to take that rabbit trail, but I want to ask you, what has AES done differently now because of this crisis that we're in that, that wasn't in place before? We, we, we recognized pretty early on the opportunity that was in front of us. Um, I mean, kind of like you mentioned, that after they said shut down two weeks and then it was oh, in another two weeks. Um, but, but I think by the third week, we realized wow, this is, this is actually going to be a great business opportunity. And, and we just kind of contacted all the vendors and said, ship us everything you can. Um, and, so that's and, where it all went. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's your fault. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, and, I, and I think we just we continued uh, purchasing that way and, and, we, and really were quite a bit of, uh, ahead of the curve. And so our, we have managed to maintain higher inventory levels you know, throughout this than what we ever had before. Um, the difficulty, however, is is we, uh, you know, I, th I think our vendors were off, used to be great at giving us and, and hitting uh, shipment dates, and, and that's just out the window. Yeah. Um, it, it changes, you know, we, we can't get boxes, we can't get, you know, valves, glass, labels, steel, whatever the story of the week is. Um, so, uh, I, I, and I, yeah, you know, there's only one of us here that really faces the consumer, right? That which is the ultimate driver. It, you know, without without the consumer dollars, none of us exist. Um, so I, I, we have tried to be a better at 
kind of communicating directly with customers. Uh, I, we don't do it corporately so much. Um, just kind of tried to manage uh, and push better information down to all of our sales staff and more, more forward-facing um, staff. Because um, every one of our customers communicates differently, and just sending them another email or another letter, it, it's you know hard yeah. to hear that, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would say the fact that we're all here says we all kind of pulled the same short-term levers together. We narrowed our SKU selection. We beefed up our inventories the best we could. We brought back capacity the best we could. I think the difference for us, uh, we're further upstream in the value chain right now. We're we're literally, if you look at a gas valve or a, even an ECM, an electronic control module, I don't care about the box as much anymore. I want to know every single component that goes in it and what's the life expectancy of that and where's that at in the chain? Because if, if, if I can't get this resistor or a microprocessor, then the box doesn't mean anything to me. So now we proactively sit with our vendors and say, I know what I need. I need the ECM, but I need to know everything that goes in it. And then help me to understand what you're going to be missing and when so that I can help you go find it together so that we don't miss the box. Because I need the box to build the fireplace. So I think we're more proactively communicating upstream with our vendors to solve their problems so that they don't become our problems. That's probably the biggest change we've made. Wow. Yeah, we same thing with the suppliers. It's almost like we're becoming our own supplier yeah. like we're, we're actually sourcing their parts for them and it, i have an example we actually sourced an alternative microchip for our vendor that was i think it was part, part of the barbecue the lighting system for the barbecue yeah. and it's not your job but that's their job but it, you know it, urgency requires it so yeah. our, our company is it, it maybe just to answer the question too we've been yeah it, it's been stressful but we've been done doing a lot of investments so like inventory i think short and long but uh, we're really heavy on inventory and a lot of whip which i'm sure you're probably like a work in progress so raw materials and we're really prepared and we're getting I, and i'm sure most of us are getting better it's it's getting better every day so yeah. it's not we're not in that uh, frantic scene right now and every day getting a little better and better and better I think the other thing that I wish we'd have done, and it's one of your questions, so I hate to jump out ahead. Yeah. Of you, I wish we, as a manufacturer, would have gone more vertical into our supply chain and taken some of that back, because mm-hmm. now we're dependent on a lot of other folks that aren't able to keep up. And I wish we'd have pulled some of that back so that we had control of our own destiny. But yeah, you know, that, it's always twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, you know that that leads me right into where I was hoping to go. I wanted to ask, you know, knowing what we know now, what would you have done differently? That makes a ton of sense, John. Yeah. That you would have you would have. I'd have pulled some of that stuff in so I had control over it. Yeah. I would have narrowed skews earlier. I mean, just knowing, you know, the panic, like you said, uh, we're, we're kind of figuring this out, Stephen. The panic, you know, um, I was, I was, I, I felt like I was a proactive and intentional, but man, I, uh, I wanted to get my hands on every bit of inventory I possibly could. And that put me in a position because as you grow an in inventory, then you start to think, okay, like this is a volatile market. Like, I mean, right now with what's happening in Ukraine, like it's extremely volatile and there's a number of other things going on. And when is when in this, in this bubble, if you want to call it that. And that's when we started to narrow down SKUs because we have to have inventory 
enough inventory, but not put us in a position to where if, if demand falls suddenly that we're out of business. Like that's devastating. And so I would say for sure, narrowing down SKUs to two or three per product line, investing in those and having sales staff be set up to sell those. Uh, I wish I would have done six months earlier because I would be in a much better position right now. And I can see my purchaser over there nodding her head. Yes. Uh, but navigated it well, but the, 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 the secret sauce is the narrowing of SKUs so that you can make it easier on everybody. And communicating with your suppliers on what you're doing as a retailer impacts them. So you have to communicate. If you're not ordering modern version units anymore and they're forecasting out, you have to be a partner and you have to let them know what your plan is. That's where communication comes in from retailers. Yeah. I think for us, one of the things that, you know, we'd, we'd been on a very, I think the whole industry on a, on a pretty nice growth curve leading up to the pandemic. I mean, things would have been great had it, you know, business-wise, we'd all still be happy, right? I mean, this this has been um, a, a, a double-edged gift to to grow the way that things have. Um, so we had we had a number of sort of business organizational initiatives that were in place, and I, I think I'd have uh, pressed the pause button on those. We sort of looked at it. Oh, this is an opportunity for us to implement a bunch of this stuff, and we we probably should have just focused on focused what the on, things are in yeah. front of it. Well, you don't yeah, know how no, crazy they are, no. and, and then they hit you in the face, and you're trying to do all these. Yeah, we always think we're going to execute it just like it's written. <laughs> we never do, but. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about you, Stephen? I'd say probably the proper forecasting with customers and, and planning, because, and especially, Grant, as you said, the 80-20 rule, if we would all, as a group here, between all the channels, had agreed that these are the key SKUs we should build, and the manufacturing could put the, you know, valves were scarce, so valves could be sourced to that unit that everybody wants, and then it would have been a little more uh, united or cohesive yeah. as a group. Yeah. That'd probably be a... Yeah, it makes total sense, and it, and it leads me... I want to talk about communication. I mean, I think this is just so true in life. I mean, I swear, like, 98% of problems happen because we thought we communicated when we didn't right? I mean, you just think about that relationally. You know, how often are you and a spouse or a, a close friend in an argument? And it all comes down to communication. You know, maybe you didn't say something and you thought you did or someone interpreted differently. Why is communication so important right now? And Grant, you know, maybe you can start because you're, you know, you're dealing with suppliers at the distribution and manufacturing level. Whatever direction you guys want to take this, whether it's you dealing with your vendors or you dealing with your customers, why is communication so important and what's that look like? So for, for me as a GM of a retail store, you know, my communication is kind of twofold. So with my suppliers, my communication is proactive and in a, a, a partnership. What's good for them is good for me, and you have to believe that, and you have to be proactive in communicating what you think is going to happen, and you need to listen to what they think is going to happen. You have to make decisions together. Uh, the other, and even more important for retailers, is communication with your staff. Um, right now, uh, like I was saying earlier, our jobs are harder. Uh, we don't have as much time or even bandwidth because of everything that we're dealing with on the labor and supply side. And what I've realized is the biggest problem in my business right now is the explanation of why we're doing certain things. We do not explain why as much anymore because we don't have time. I see emails that go through and it's like short and sweet and it does not explain why over and over again. And I think just recently, maybe in the last month, I've kind of realized that with our leadership team and we are going to make a strong emphasis in explaining why to all 
as John says, members, teammates in our business because they deserve to know. And with as many shifts and changes we've had, you have to explain it. For retailers, I would recommend having team meetings and a store meeting to kind of keep people understanding everything that's going on. You have to explain the fourth price increase and why, and you have to be on your supplier's side. You can't be mad at your supplier. You have to know that they're doing the best they can. You have to explain it to them. So communication with your employees from a retail standpoint right now, because of the labor issue, because of everything, is absolutely crucial. And, and thinking about why you're making these changes, why you're doing those things, and explain it to them, you got to take the time to do it. You, you had to bring up communication and marriage, huh? <laughs> I did, I did. <laughs> Um, I, I, I guess just because you went that way, um, I, I, the three fellow business people here, um, I, I, I think there has to be uh, the desire to have a relationship, right? I mean, communication in marriage oftentimes doesn't work, but, but there's, you know, there's faith and trust and you work through it. And uh, uh, so I, I would say we probably have had more failures in communication now than we ever have, either internal or external. Um, but most of these things are not fatal. Um, and uh, you, it's, it's really just a matter of, you know, having the right people to reach out to to, to resolve the issues. So um, I, I, I do think we are we are trying to communicate better. Again, we don't tend to do it on a global basis. We try to do it more individually um, where, where we have, uh, where, where our customer contact relations are. But um, anyway. Well, you guys do, I mean, just from being an AES customer, you guys do a great job relationally. I mean, some of the best reps that I've had have been AES reps. And, and that, I mean, I, I would imagine for retailers listening, like, usually something means a lot more when it comes through the context of relationship with someone you know you know so not that corporate communication is not bad because that can be super effective but on the individual store by store hand-to-hand combat level i think that that is where the magic is well and i would say something else with kirk john and Stephen all sitting here and, and i do do business with all of them you guys have set up your businesses to handle this whether you know that or not or feel that or not Kirk, you have inside sales, outside sales that are the best we've ever had. The communication from HTHT and everything going on has been fantastic. The, the relationship with Napoleon and the people in the right positions to make the right decisions and communicate has is, is really been huge. And each and every company here has people in the right position. Now, communication is not perfect and it's impossible to make it perfect. But I would sit here and say that I, would, I, I think that the communication from the three parties here and multiple other manufacturers was really good. Did I always feel really good about it? Did I always act like I appreciated it? No, because I was emotional. I was going through crazy stuff. But overall, our industry has done an amazing job. And you guys need to know that some of us see that. All that work that we thought was being taken away from us after uh, the expo in New Orleans, uh, you know, actually all the work that we went into got us through this. And I can say, Kirk, honestly, your inside sales staff has been amazingly supportive through all of this and that's the best type of communication well thank you well i can say yeah that that's uh some news to my ears because i, I think <laughs> I, I certainly don't feel like that I, I think in my position if we let anybody down on a delivery date uh that that's we're making we're making a big mistake kind of thing and you know supply chain we're talking about supply chain here and, and the goal of supply chain is the right product at the right place at the right time and if we don't do that, that we're not fulfilling our promise to our customers. So, but to hear some good, good news, thank you. 
Yeah, and I would say I'll, I'll talk about communication to our trade channel partners versus our upstream because sure. I've already covered that. Uh, communication is is paramount. It, it's what builds trust. And, and as you know, this is as much about a business transaction as it is about a relationship with your trade channel partners and your customers. And and a relationship is either moving together or it's moving apart. No matter how you look at it, they never stand still. So either if people trust you, it moves together, and if they don't trust you, it moves apart, and that's not good for either of us. So. I think it, good communication is all about building trust, and with trust comes, you know, a certain amount of uh, people don't feel as though they have to take inventory. They don't have to load up, and, and that's that's what's. I, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here worried about how much inventory all these folks have, because <laughs> at some point that's going to come through the pipe too. So I'm kind of hoping we're going to slowly ease out of our inventory positions, and it isn't a big stop, hit the brakes, and then we got to swallow that. But. It, communication is, is what builds trust, and trust is what builds relationships, and that's what makes the world go round. It's, yeah. it's that simple. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot, you know, there's there's been a, a lot of difficult conversations that I'm sure everybody's had over the last year to two years. And I think about difficult conversations I've had. And I was actually, I was talking with, with Troy Olson, Stephen, one of, one of your sales reps out of the Pacific Northwest, and he was just talking about his communication style, and, and, and he said something that I really took to heart, and he's like, you know, Whenever I have to have a tough conversation, my goal is always just to go in, rip the Band-Aid off, and just to say, hey, we're going to have to have a conversation that you're not going to like. This is going to be really difficult, but I just I owe it to you to tell you this. And just that simple way to preface it is so good versus beating around the bush and trying to present something that's not totally true. And I think as, as retailers especially, because we're getting it coming and going, you know, like we've got, we've got the customer calling us furious. We're the one that the unit's halfway through being installed and, you know, you discovered something wasn't there. So we have the customer, you know, harping on us. We're trying to, we're, we're being pulled everywhere. Not that, not that other companies aren't, but I, the retailers are really feeling the pain of it. And it's so easy to get emotional and to snap and to like, just to be rude. And, and, and the thing that, that I've really been thinking about is it's okay to have hard conversations. It's okay to be really mad about something, but we have to decide, are, are we, are we circling the wagon and, and pointing the guns outward? Or are we, or are we going to be, you know, taking out our partners at the knees? Like if we're selling their product, I mean, unless we're going to go somewhere else, we need this relationship to work. And I think that having that mentality, if we can have a hard conversation, even be mad about stuff, but at the end of the day, we just need to say, okay, like how are we going to get through this? I think that that's super important. I, I, I think on that note, um, and, and just delivering bad news, because there's, there's been a lot to deliver with, with regard to supply. Um, I, I know one, we, we try to empower our sales staff and inside sales staff to, to provide solutions. So, you know, delivering bad news is one thing, but hopefully when you realize that, that you have to do that, you're not just putting a big gooey mess on your customer's desk and say, you know, now here's something else for you to go solve today. You can, you know, we, we really have worked hard at, here are some alternatives. Here's what I can do. Yeah. What, and, or what would, what else would you like me to do? Maybe that's not possible, but at least it's nice to be heard. Yeah. So, yeah. One thing I want to know too, and and we can go a couple different ways in this, but I, I'd like to know either, either one of two answers. Either what's the best example of communication that you've seen, whether it's from your company or, or another company in the industry during this time, or um, what's changed in the way that you communicate that that will continue going forward because of what's happened over the last two years. Well, I'll start, but I'm going to repeat myself. Um, I think the value of why has exposed itself more than ever. And uh, like I said, maybe three or four weeks ago, I, I really started to lean into this with my team. 
Uh, and even with the customer, you know, um, if we think about what the customer understands, we really have to explain how we've positioned ourselves to navigate the obstacles that they know of. Uh, whether it's signage on your floor expressing the supply issue, talking about your sale differently uh, due to inventory levels, and qualifying product differently based on availability. But I think it really comes down to explaining to the customer what is going on, what you're doing to solve the problem, and how you have certain products, but you can't have all products. Explain why you're going through that and what you're doing to deal with that is super important with the customer. And then with employees, I know we're, we're talking about supply primarily, but a part of the challenge is that labor is taking so much time from, from all of our businesses. Uh, we have to be better leaders and people need to feel galvanized by what we're doing. And if we're constantly reactive and we're not proactive in explaining and, and having a plan, um, we really we will lose those team members and, and uh, we can't afford to do that right now. I'll go next. Uh, we have a particular supplier. I'm not going to tell you who it is, Stephen, so don't go there. But <laughs> <laughs> we have one vendor that came to us and said, here's all the components you buy from me and here's the end of life on every single one of them and here's what I'm going to go do to bring them in. I'll, I'll buy 10,000 of these to make sure that I have them so you don't have to worry about it. And they literally give us a scorecard for the product we buy from them with every single component and what the life shelf is and how many they have in inventory wow. so I can monitor it. Wow. That, wow. That's, that's good communication in my world. Yeah. That is amazing. I'm going to need that supplier. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I figured you would. <laughs> if, if I could, uh, yeah, so something, I, I think we did actually a good job early on uh, in COVID with communicating with customers, actually, uh, with, with the dealers and the distributors. We actually had webinars and we brought... It's very strange, but we had our actual supply chain team, some of the purchasing members, actually presenting what they were working on and the challenges they were seeing to be fully transparent on what was happening in the world. We were sharing graphs of pricing, sharing graphs of container vessels from China to show the backlog and giving them all the, you know, to be to answer the why question that, Grant, you were going off. We were really trying to educate them on what was yeah. happening. Yeah. And we actually did we many of those and you were probably on some of those. Yeah. And if I think about it, like a couple of years ago, that would never, ever have happened. That's something that sits in a back room in a manufacturing plant that, that, that's for them to worry about, right? But it was brought to the forefront and it became the most critical issue for dealers to understand, I think. It's a great example. How about you guys, Kirk? We, one of the things that we put together was a, uh, for our in, internal sales staff, actually external as well, was a, a SWAN report, sell what's available now. So and it, and it was... For us, kind of a survival thing of instead of talking about everything that we can't get you, here are some things that you know we we think might meet meet your immediate needs. I so I while I I am assuming we'll probably keep doing something like this because it's it's just a push button deal. Um, I I think I, I so one of the, we were we were pretty lucky in this whole downturn that uh, or or COVID crisis that there are a lot of, lot of dollars, consumer dollars and time to run out and chase all kinds of goods. And there were a lot of things that we didn't have to compete with. People uh, traveling on cruises and, um, you know, all, all sorts of vacation stuff, um, restaurant visits, uh, you know, a lot of that discretionary dollar stuff all of a sudden turned to us, right? What a wonderful thing. Um, and, and just not having to compete with that, but you know that 
I think we're kind of seeing the end of that. We're we're going to be back battling for the buck. You know how yeah. how are we going to be the thing that the consumer wants? So, I think going forward, one of the things we have had to adapt to a little bit is taking a little pain personally on moving our inventory around from you know within our five distribution centers to balance inventory out. We we tend never to want to have to touch the same thing twice. It's you know the, that's our big cost and uh, so I. We've done a lot more of that, and I, I think, I think uh, my brother uses this term "speed kills," not, not, not like, you know, <laughs> freeway speed, but you know, being having the product, getting the product. I think our customers are going to need that. That when they get back into the competition with all of the other choices that a consumer has, we we need to be get get back into that mode. Kirk, it's so interesting you say that. So I, I referenced that conversation I had with Dan Woodward a couple of weeks ago. And as, as we were talking, I mean, Dan Woodward, is a, he's a logistical guru from HHT. And he was saying, Tim, prices are probably not really going to roll back. It's not very often in our industry that you see price decreases. But what, so, so consumers are, are, you know, one way or another, are probably going to keep continuing to pay the prices of what our products are. But... What is, what is not going to change is going to be their expectation of when they're going to get things, that, that there will be a ramped up expectation where they will not settle for waiting the way that, that they were. And it's going to be up to us to figure out quicker and faster ways. Now, we were talking about on the retail side, this is like a two-minute rabbit trail. We were talking about on the retail side, we're, we're probably going to have to understand, you know, when a customer comes into a showroom, how do I get them an estimate that minute before they leave? When a customer leaves the showroom, how do I get out to their house within 48 hours? You know, once they've placed their deposit, how do we install it within two weeks? Now, those are things right now that are, are just not going to happen. But I think that Dan had a lot of wisdom that going forward, as we think about like Amazon Prime and Uber and, and, and the, the really like the ease of buying things, that most products are becoming quicker and easier to buy that we really need to be thinking proactively about that. And, and I, I, thought that was, I thought that was really wise. And you talk about having to shuffle your inventory around when you don't maybe necessarily want to, you know, it, that, that, that could be a reality, just looking at what consumer expectations are. They might be willing to pay for it, but not wait. Well, I think, I think that's a really good point, Tim. I think that as we come out of uh, what we've went through the last couple of years, consumers, uh, they've changed. They've changed, like, they've, They've changed immensely. It's like a, we've leaped 10 years into the future. Oh, yeah. And, and we have to understand that they're going to be over uh, all of this and have the same expectations and even greater. And you always talk about what Amazon and what certain, certain companies have come to, uh, would have, have put customers in a position that that's what they they've, expect. They've they expect us. it on demand. They expect, our businesses have to get back to that, and we have to figure out how. The problem is, like we've just talked about, the supply is going to last for the next year. Uh, supply issues are maybe the next year. Consumers aren't going to understand that, and we're going to have to figure out how to navigate that yeah. the best we can. So to close this out, and I'd like to take a couple questions if we could. We'll get there in just a second. But to close this out, I'd like to start uh, maybe first with, with you, John, and, and Stephen, and ask for retailers, what are, are you looking – well, I guess maybe we'll, start, maybe we'll start with you, Stephen, on this. What, what are you looking for – from retailers to own their weight of this partnership over the next year? A big part of it, I'd say, is like kind of 
booking and forecasting, but more of the booking side of it. I know it seems like the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot. Like when I when I first started in the business, you know, like 20 years ago, I know booking was a really big thing in a, in a lot of, but it seems like, a, you know, manufacturers have been, been, able, been able to provide. And I think with this spike, it caught a lot of dealers off guard and caught the manufacturers, it caught the whole chain off guard. So I, I think you'll see a lot more moving back towards booking and buying. That's what we're, we're, we're all seeing. And that's where we're carrying all inventory at all levels right now, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Demand planning. Tell us what you need. Uh, and, and on the flip side of that, only take what you need because I have other customers that need stuff too. And if we can all go at the pace that we need it, we'll all do a better job of making sure those customers get what they want when they want and at the right price. Yeah. That's what I would say. You know, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. It's funny. Uh, I, I worked for a few different retailers in, in the last 15 years and there was there was one in particular that was really good about forecasting. And that was a new concept to me when I came into it. Because before it was just always, well, we just sell what we're going to sell and we just order when we need to. And that's fine, you know, kind of to a degree. But but when I when I moved to this retailer that really took, you know, budgeting and forecasting seriously, it was a whole different way of looking at things. And that sounds silly because it's such a simple business thing, but it, it really changed for us. You know, a lot of our meetings with our sales reps were forecasting. Okay, how's demand been? Okay, where do you expect your sales to be here? It wasn't, okay, we got to go out to this customer's house and can you help me change the, the gasket on the wood stove because it failed. Like, you know, sometimes we call our sales reps for those sorts of things, but taking advantage of your reps to talk in partnership language of where are you going to be, where are we going to be, that was really powerful when I, when I went to work for that company. Um, one thing I'd like to know from you, Kirk, as, as you work with manufacturers, you're kind of in the middle too because you, you, you know, you're getting squeezed from retailers saying, hey, where is it? I thought I was going to be here yesterday and, you know, you're pushing manufacturers. What, what are you looking for from a retailer for, for, for them to own their, like my friend Tim Rethlake says, if you're going to pick up one end of the stick, you have to pick up the other as well, right? So you're picking up one end of the stick. What, what does a retailer need to do to pick up their end? Well, if we're, gonna, if we're talking about this, this supply issue, um, I don't know if we need forecasting as much as we just need information on change. So, you know, Grant is saying, asking our rep, you know, what do you see out there? I mean, our rep better be asking Grant, <laughs> what are you seeing? Because if, he does. if we know that, if we know Grant's business is going up, we know what it's been, or if we know how it's changing, we can respond to that. Um, and, and, you know, what you see from your computer program is is often too late, right? Yeah. So, um, let's see. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, in in season... I think a difficult thing is 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 just training of staff. So I I wish we had, and, and this may well again be on us of of just our ability to sit down and I, I think business plan more than you you said forecasting. I I'd, I'd rather see the whole business plan. How are we going to train your staff? What are your displays going to be? Yeah. What promotions are you going to have this year? How can we help those? I'm mean, if. You know, the, the the earlier we can swallow all of that and and find out how we become the partner in it, um, the more successful we're going to be when you know when it hits, so to speak. Yeah, so, Grant, for uh, you to close this out, and then we can move to a little bit of Q and A. What are you looking for from a manufacturer or a distributor for them to be, be a partner? And we have a mutual friend that that was talking to us about how you know a lot of companies that that I deal with have not treated me like a partner this year. 
And uh, actually, none of those companies are, are sitting here, thankfully. But, but it's true. Like, that, that, that happens. And none of us are perfect with communication. But what are you looking for from distributors, manufacturers, for them to be a good partner for you? Uh, you know, communication is the easy answer. I want proactive communication. But that's difficult and it's relative because if I haven't thought about it or I haven't been proactive, uh, I still might be reactive even if they do communicate that to me. For me, it's, it's about... Uh, belief in what we do and listening. For me, um, I'm very passionate about how I run my business. And I, I care deeply about the employees that I serve and the community that I serve. And I understand my market and my business better than any manufacturer or distributor does. I want them to understand me. I want them to invest in me. And I can say a number of manufacturers have. They're true partners. And that's what I need. I need someone that not just communicates with me, understands me, understands my business. And then guess what the superpower is? They can help me because they understand me. They can give me solutions to my problems because we have an understanding of what those problems are. That's what I expect from my, my, my suppliers, my distributors. And, and I think our industry does a really good job of that. And, and I have a role. And truthfully, as a retailer, we gotta take some accountability. We, we, we sometimes rely on manufacturers for things that we should be doing. We should be forecasting our business. We should know the right products that go on display. We should understand the terms. And, and really, a retailer needs to take responsibility before blaming anybody. And I know I'm supposed to be on the retailer side, but I see a lot of blame from retailers. We need to take a step back and realize there's a partnership here. And if we don't take accountability, then we're just casting blame. There's never going to be a relationship there that's going to be prosperous. Hmm. Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, this is a situation that no one could have seen coming, and it was such a roller coaster. I remember literally, like, the HPBA show, I swear it was, like, the last trade show before the world changed, right? You know, you left early. As soon as the NBA season canceled, you were out, you know? Uh, me and my wife thought, man, maybe we're going to have to drive back to Portland, Oregon from Louisiana. And going back to a different world, I mean, in, in Oregon, like, you know, our business was shut down for a number of weeks. And you're sitting there saying, what are we going to do? And then you'd have this, you know, whiplash. All of a sudden, the demand's out of control, but you've laid off part of your staff. It's, it's horrible. And I think that, if anything, at, at the end of the day, what we need to realize is that we have to accept responsibility and blame for what we can control. And the things that we can't control... Like we can't do anything about it. So, so what we need to do is try to mitigate our risk there, right? Again, if there's, if there's a manufacturer or a, or a unit that is just really difficult, well, we, we should probably think about, you know, not opening ourselves up to that, to that risk. And you don't want to be a bad partner, but, you, but man, like if there's, a, if there's a variable that you have no control over and you're getting blamed for it, well, you, you probably need to shrink that variable affecting you. And, and I think that investing into relationships and partnerships, even if it means, you know, you've got one wood stove to sell because it's the one you can get, like, I think it's worth going all in on that versus spreading yourself too thin. And as a retailer, I just, I, I know there's a lot of fear in dealing with consumers and there's a lot of fear of, well, the, are, are they going to buy from me if I don't give them exactly what they want? And I think that, I think that the answer is yes if we can make it easy for them. And in a lot of ways, we don't make it easy for consumers. And I think that that's the number one issue our industry has to solve holistically is, how do we make it easy to buy from us? If we're a manufacturer, 
how do we make it easy for a distributor to buy from us? How do we make it easy for a retailer to buy from us, right? If we're, if we're a, a retailer, you know, a consumer comes in, like, is it easy to buy a fireplace? Like, gosh, dang it, it's the hardest thing in the world. I mean, like, and, and, and there's, there's, there's complexity to what we sell. This isn't to say that doesn't exist, but it's to say, you know, as we can come alongside our customers, make it easier, I think we're going to win. So I appreciate you guys being on this panel, and it's great to have everybody here. If there's any questions that anybody has, you know, you can come on up, and, uh, and I can, you can tell me, and I can, I can say it to the group. Does anybody have any questions that they want to ask these people here or any comments they'd like to say? Thank you all. You've been incredibly kind. <laughs> <laughs> to close out, I'm going to ask a final question then. What's been the hardest thing personally for you in all this? Well, uh, you know, for me, it's fighting insecurities of letting everybody down day after day. And that's truly it. Uh, I'm a, I believe that, you know, in these times, we have to, the leaders have to lead, you know, and, uh, I can say that this has probably been the hardest and the best two years. And, uh, yeah, well, it, it has, it has been hard, right? I mean, just like, the, like you, especially as a leader, you have to put on, you, you have to put on a show for your, for your team members. You know, like we, you're, you're the fearless leader. Yeah. You, you want to put on a face and like, I get emotional because you know, it's, it's, it's every day that I forget to do this or I forget to do that. And like, here I am an example. And if you feel like you have to be perfect, and for me, it's been overcoming that and realizing that's actually okay. And I'm doing everything that I can. My mom, we have a family business. My mom always says, you're doing the best that you can and you have to be comfortable with that. And for me, that's been the biggest obstacle. Yeah. I'm going to take your one thing and, and one mind too. So yeah. I two. Um, I, I went, I'm old enough, went through the uh, inflationary times of, uh, you know, the mid seventies. Um, and actually that was probably sort of the birth of a lot of, a lot of companies in the industry. We, that, I, you know, I think they said inflation was in the, you know, it was double digit, not seven and a half. And I think they've changed how they report inflation now. So the number sounds better, but, uh, I, I just remember all those price increases and how, you know, just inundated and, uh, the lengthy deliveries, you know, six months to get different kinds of products. I, I didn't uh, any. I think this was to me more difficult to navigate. Maybe the company's bigger. Um, with regard to uh, staff, uh, we we've we have really overworked our people, and we we've we've been able to pay them more, bonus them, thank them. Um, We've closed a few days and not been available. Uh, just, but uh, that that's that's been tough. We've had staff members pass away um, and family, and it, it it's been a pretty emotional yeah. ride. I I'm looking forward to easier times. Yeah. Well, my comedic answer would be pushing forgetting to push mute before i talk into a zoom call <laughs> that's a good but one. uh the real answer is we've we've similar challenges we've worked our people extremely hard and our, our members have done a fantastic job of stepping up and i think that the biggest challenge for for us and for me and, and our team is we've had a lot of changes and not being able to get together as a group and explain them face to face 
and and be at these kinds of events where you can interact face to face, it's left us with a lot of challenges because you think you're communicating, but unless you can look the other person in the eye and know that they're understanding it, it's really a challenge. So leading through a very difficult pandemic and not being able to get together and lead face to face has been a challenge. Yeah. So. Yeah. For, for for me, it's really letting like, like kind of like Grant letting you're letting your uh, end consumer down. I'm letting the whole supply, like the, the rest of the chain of distributors and the dealers down. And it's, you get the, I get the personal calls and the texts to say, Hey Steve, can you not ship me some of these? And I'm, I, I, you can't just steal from somebody else. And it, it's just, it's so big of an issue that there is just no way to quickly correct it. So it, it can be very emotional. And these are customers that have been with us for 30, you know, 30 plus years and you want to do everything in your power, but you just, it, there's the problem is so, large that you just can't do anything about it so it's uh yeah painful you know and, and the reason i close with that question is just for for those of you who are listening it can be easy to see you know these leaders of these these big companies as you know just the folks that are you know behind the corporate veil that are not affected by this but the truth is like you know everybody's human and 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 everybody's dealing with like the insecurity of man did i let this person down did i communicate well enough with my team like do i have what it takes to do this and I think that that's, that's part of how we're going to get through this is just to realize that like every single person is a human being and like we're doing the best that we can. And as we, as we help each other as a retailer say, where can I step up and take responsibility as a distributor? Where can I step up and add value as a manufacturer? You know, how can I communicate better, add value in a way that I haven't? I think that's the way we're going to win. So super thankful for every one of you to everybody who listened. I hope that this gave you some value and we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Grant Falco, Kirk Newby, John Schimmick, and Steven Schroeder. It was amazing for me to be a part of that panel. And I think that we covered a lot of ground. I mean, the truth is that these supply issues are affecting everyone, and and they really are going to continue for the foreseeable future. But I think that what, what we talked about that was so important is this idea of, as a retailer right now, we really can shape the selection of customers. And you might think I'm crazy because again, if we were having this conversation two years ago, there would have been a lot less control that we have. But in in today's market climate, we really can shape this decision and realize that physically having the product available may be the biggest problem to solve for your customer. And for the businesses that try to chase everything and you know order that strange color that they're not sure about the ETA on, that is just a recipe to set you up for failure. So I thought it was a good conversation and just very, very relevant for where we are right now. I hope that you got a lot of value out of it as well. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but we are coming up to the end of registrations for the Firetime Workshop. And, you know, as you listen to the podcast this season and hear us talking about how to build a heartbeat report and the keystone metrics for your company, all of these things stem from what we're going to cover in the Firetime Workshop. So we're going to meet up at the beginning of May in Seattle, Washington for three days. It's going to be myself, Grant Falco, and the rest of the Firetime team where we're going to take a deep dive on helping your business build out every single step in the 10-step execution process so that you know how to run a job from start to finish. And the best part is that your team can follow the plan. You know, so often when problems happen on jobs, it's because 
we, we haven't looked at the whole process. So something goes wrong and we just complain about it, but we can't actually diagnose it because we didn't have a framework laid out from the beginning of what was supposed to happen. I'm telling you that these three days are going to be special and you will be able to take control of your business. Now to sign up for the workshop, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop and do that. That's itsfiretime.com. Now, if you're still not sure, Grant and I put together a video series. It's 100% free, and it's called Three Steps to Transform Your Business. And each of these videos is about 10 minutes long. We lay our cards on the table, and we give you everything we have about building a cadence of meetings and accountability and starting to operate on a scoreboard. These videos will be super helpful, and they will give you a taste of what we're going to cover in the workshop. And so to get that free video series and start putting it into action, you can go to itsfiretime.com slash transform. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash itsfiretime. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash itsfiretime. And seriously, we say this week in and week out, but the contributions that we receive are not taken lightly and it means the world that some of you, you know, believe in this enough to support it. And our goal is truly to produce the highest level of content possible, and these monthly contributions help us do that. So thank you. Now, as you go out this week, we're we're ending these conversations that we've had at the expo, and next week we are going to dive right into the keystone metrics to take control of your company, and I'm really pumped for this, especially as we're coming into the invest season now, and hopefully everyone has a little more time on their hands. This is something that can really make a difference in your business. So we'll talk to you again very soon next week. Remember the work that you're doing matters. So stick with it. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn it down.